You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. Morning, River. Hope you guys are doing well. Awesome uh, testimony. Just wanted you to be able, even though we have two services, wanted you to be able to celebrate as well uh, with that video. So take your Bible, if you would, and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians 8. I want to talk to you this morning about honor, about what it means to uh, live a life of, of honor. Paul is, you know, we spent a few weeks talking about uh, the need to outreach, our responsibility to reach out to people who don't know Jesus. And Paul spent quite a few sections, quite a bit of time writing about that. And over these next couple of chapters, chapter 8 and 9, he's really focused on giving and about our responsibility and, and how we as individuals, as in a church, should be a generous and a giving people. And this morning we're going to see that uh, that... The giving was entrusted to people, people that acted responsibly and could live and handle those things with honor. So uh, I'm looking forward to sharing that with you. You know, there is a stone uh, monument at West Point. I've not seen it, but I'm told of this. And it says this. It says, a cadet will not lie, cheat, steal, or tolerate those who do. It doesn't say a cadet should not. It says a cadet will not lie, cheat, steal, or tolerate those who do. West Point has for years had the, the, the history of uh, being for truth and integrity and, and honesty and those kinds of things. And uh, to the point that it was a shock to them and the leaders and even to the world to find out just last month in December, I think over 70 of uh, the students, the cadets were caught cheating apparently on a calculus exam. And uh, in something that in days gone by would be an automatically expelled, like no questions asked, you're caught, you're gone, because they have such a low tolerance for lying and cheating and stealing. You know, I appreciate that, that, you know, a, a, a organization, a educational system with, with our training so many of our officers in the Army, they ought to be men and women of integrity, ought to be men and women that can be trusted to represent us well and do what is right. Apparently, almost 60 of those or so have been referred to uh, more of a, a rehabilitation kind of program, trying to, I guess, tell them cheating's bad. Don't do it, you know, and I'm not sure what there is to rehabilitate. You either do it or don't do it. But anyway, it's kind of set off a firestorm of, you know, a zero tolerance policy, the way to go or not, and all of that. Regardless. West Point didn't invent honesty and integrity. As followers of Jesus Christ, God calls us to live as men and women, as people who live honorably before God and before others. In fact, we're going to see this morning, it should really be our aim, one of those high-end things that everything we do to honor God in our life, kind of as we saw the video this morning, is that our life isn't just to be lived, it is be, to be lived for Jesus, to be lived honorably before Him with whatever we do in life to be lived for Him. So read with me, if you will, the passage here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Paul is writing to the church and he's talking about this offering, this collection that they're gathering to send to the, the, the needy in Jerusalem. The Bible says this, But thanks be to God, who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care, the passionate care, if you will, that I have for you. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you of his own accord. In other words, we didn't force him, didn't make him, but he's passionate. He wanted to do this to come to you guys. 
With him, we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. We don't, we're not told who this was, but he was somebody who was well-known and well-trusted and respected. The Bible goes on and says this. Paul says in verse 19, he says, And not only that, but he who has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord and, him, and the Lord himself and to show us our good will. This, this act of grace that's going on is... Uh, we, we saw last week, you may or may not remember it. Honestly, I didn't remember it. But earlier in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul says, Hey guys, I told you a year ago to start receiving an offering. And what was going on, 1 Corinthians talks about it, 2 Corinthians talks about it. There was a famine that had happened in the Middle East. And the church at Jerusalem, the, the mother, if you will, of Christianity, where the people were struggling. And so Paul went around to the churches and said, hey gang, we've got a responsibility to take care of those, to take care of our brothers and sisters in Christ. So he challenged the churches to take up an offering, to do it weekly and to collect it. So a year later, he's sending some guys back to handle that, to come receive that offering so it could be taken back to Jerusalem and so it could be done, be done well. And he's handling kind of the logistics of that. Now let's go on. Let's read a little bit more. He says this in verse 20. We take this course, in other words, sending these men along, a couple of people to, to come along that are well-respected. We take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift, literally this wealthy, rich gift that they've been collecting for all these months to give to Jerusalem. He says, we don't want anyone to blame us in this that has been ad being administered by us. And here's the key verse. For we aim at what is honorable not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. And with them, we're sending our brother, another person, a third person. We're sending our brother whom we have often tested and found earnest. In other words, kind of faithful and responsible and passionate. Been found earnest in many matters, but who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. And as for Titus, he is my partner, my fellow worker, and for your benefit. And as for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches. In other words, sent out by the churches, the glory of Christ. So give proof before the churches of your love and of your, our boasting about you to these men. In other words, do well in your giving of your proof of your love for God and for Jerusalem and how we handle these affairs. I want to talk to you this morning about what it means to be people, men and women who live honorably before God, honorably before others. You see, we should have as one of the priorities of our life to live a life that honors God in everything that we do. Here we are. Paul is, is doing something that is appropriate. He says, guys, I'm, I challenge you to take up this offering, this act of grace, to give this gift to Jerusalem. And we're sending along people to administer this, to do it well. Paul was wise. He said, I'm not personally involved in this. I'm not going to be personally handling the money. I'm not there involved. And we're sending to you men who are well-trusted, people that are recognized by the churches, faithful in ministry and serving, the people that you can trust. And it's important to us. We're doing this because we want to honor God in everything that we do, even if something is low-level or baseline, if you will, handling the finances and we want to live responsibly in honoring other people. You know, as followers of Jesus, our 
one of the, the deepest priorities in our life should be, regardless of what our impact in this world is, regardless of whether or not we do well in life, regardless of how we, whether or not we accomplish our goals, accomplish our bucket list, do the things that we want to do and dream in life, we should all have something much bigger than those things, and that is living a life that honors God. You see, when you have in your heart a desire to honor God, it removes you from just living life for yourself because you live for somebody else. You live for God's glory. It means you, you live according to His standards with what pleases Him, with what honors Him. In our world today of political correctness and the rush and the push for people to not be offensive to other people around them, you know, to make sure that we don't step on any toes or say anything wrong that could hurt anybody else's feelings or, you know, do those kinds of things. I'm, I notice that we increasingly, as a culture, as a world, have no interest, have no care or concern about whether or not what we do or say offends God. As followers of Jesus, I want to challenge you and encourage you that you actually should be more focused on what you say, whether or not that offends God, more than you, what you say, whether or not it offends somebody else. Did you happen to notice, was it this week or last week when Congress came back into session, the House of Representatives, did you happen to notice the prayer that one of our congressmen prayed? Um, pretty embarrassing if you didn't notice it. He prayed a prayer which was fairly okay. I thought it was a decent prayer until the end of it. And, and at the end of it, he began to pray, you know, to God who's known by many different names. And he gave another name for God and by all faiths and that. And I thought, wow, that's horrible. And then what really shocked the whole world, not just followers of Jesus, he closed it by saying, amen and a woman or a women. I'm not sure which. And kind of silly, like as if not to offend women because he's closing a prayer by saying amen. And there's some controversy after it, and he's backpedaled or kind of like said, well, why are you making a big deal of this? I was being a little bit funny and kind of drawing attention. I'm like, you know, just for the record, amen is a Hebrew word. And I tell you what, it's amen in Polish and Italian and in English and in German and in Hebrew and in Greek. Like every language, it's amen. It has nothing to do with gender whatsoever. It just, it means so be it. It means, that's right, I've said it, I agree with what I just prayed. The same as the word hallelujah. It's the same word in every language under the sun. And it was just the most silly thing in the world for somebody to say. But you know what was more? And the world took notice of that. And if you were all on social media, you probably saw this. It's where I ran into it. But there was something that is actually way more offensive than that. When a, a, a man who is a, a member of our Congress, who is a minister of a church, frankly should be fired after that prayer, and I mean that sincerely, not because he said amen and a woman, but because when he prayed to a God who's known by many names and all faiths are the same, out of a desire to show inclusivity to everybody's faith or whatever it might be, in that moment, he was highly offensive to God in heaven because the Bible tells us, the Bible tells us that there is, referring to Jesus, that there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. That the name of Jesus matters. That the name that God 
took so long to wait. In fact, the world did not know the personal name of God until Moses at the burning bush, and he revealed himself as the great I Am. That God cares about His specific name. That God has revealed truth to us. That His claims are fully exclusive. It's not an inclusive faith. It is an exclusive. You either believe what God has revealed to us is truth, or you don't. So I want to challenge you this morning, followers of Jesus, that just like Paul said, guys, our goal is to honor God, to honor God in our speech, that we should honor Him. Now, am I saying that we shouldn't care about how we come across other people? No, but be careful in how you respond and how you navigate the cultural world today and ask yourself the question, does this honor God? And if it, the answer to it is yes, then you can do what you need to do to honor and to help others. But folks, we have a responsibility before God to honor God above everything. Now what's interesting here is Paul also said, hey, we want to handle this money in a way that what's honorable to people. He says in verse 21, we aim, that's our focus and our purpose, at what is honorable not only in the Lord's sight, in other words, how God sees right and wrong, what God's opinion of our actions are. We want to act and speak in a way that God can look at us and say, I agree with that and I approve. I approve of this message. But we also want to act in a way that is also honorable in the sight of people. Here's the deal. Paul was doing something when he was to receive these offerings because they needed to go for a good cause. To The Bible tells us, and we've been, it actually it surfaced in our men's group yesterday in the book of James, that we have a responsibility to be generous to those around us. We talked about it last week earlier in chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians. We're going to read it again. The Bible reminds us over and over and over again, as followers of Jesus, we are to trust God for what we need, and we're to care and to be generous to those around us. And when Paul challenged the churches to do that, he knew this was going to be a sizable claim. This was not a little one-time pass the offering plate, if you will, you know, the bucket and throw a $5 bill in or maybe a $20 bill in. This was a every week to bring to be building a significant offering that would legitimately help a lot of people in the church that were struggling because of the famine. And Paul knew that people would have questions. Hey, how do we know we can trust the people that are bringing this money? How do we know that they're not going to run off to Cancun on vacation with our hard-earned money? How do we how do we know they're not going to, you know, he's not going to dip in a little bit for his retirement and throw a little party, you know? How how can we trust them? And so Paul, to do what was honorable to God and, and what was clearly right and good and honorable in the eyes of the people, said, look, we've got some guys here, and you can trust these guys. In fact, they're approved and recommended by the churches. You can trust them. And not just one guy, I'm going to send three guys so that everything is there, done well, and there's accountability into that. You and I really should care, not only that we live honorably before God in our heart and our mind, but we should care that other people see that well too. I'm not talking about image management. I'm, there are too many of us, too many people walking around today caring more about their reputation with other people than they do the reality on the inside. If you've got to choose one, choose the reality and live honorably before God. But it does also matter that we live in a way that other people can see that our honor is there. I'll give you an example. You remember Billy Graham, famous evangelist who's seen so many people follow Christ in his life and ministry in the 50s and 60s and 70s and on, just died not too long ago. He had kind of the, it's known as the Billy Graham rule, and he actually had four of these rules that 
he and the leaders of his ministry that they decided to do. They, they said, number one, they recognized that a lot of evangelists couldn't be trusted with finances, that they would manipulate crowds to give them more. And he said, we're not going to do that. We're not going to ask for those. In fact, we want the host churches and the people to handle all of that ahead of time. He said, secondly, so many pastors and evangelists and whatever ran into trouble with, with pursuing women that are not their wives. They said, we're never going to be alone with another woman. We don't want ever to have any impropriety, ever be accused of anything, so we're going to remove ourselves from that. He also said we're not ever going to criticize any churches because we want to serve and, and support the churches as well. And there was a fourth one. It's not coming to my mind right now. But, but those four rules were kind of guiding principles that were all, oh, they weren't going to inflate numbers either. If you've been around pastors very long, you know they like to inflate people. They had like 50 people in church. We had 150 people Sunday, you know, and it's like, okay, let's, can we be honest, you know, and have a little bit of integrity here? And they said they would never do that for the sake of show, kind of the pride thing. I, I'm, I'm sh a bit shocked, to be perfectly honest, why in recent few years that it's become popular to attack that Billy Graham rule, that some have been poked at politicians and other Christian people, you know, as saying, well, you, you mean you're not even willing to sit down and have lunch with a, a, a woman who's not your wife? Like, seriously? And they make it out to be almost as a degrading or denigrating thing to, to women. And missing the whole point is like, really? We live in a world where so many leaders are falling morally, and, and we're going to actually poke at that as a bad thing when somebody actually wants to live honorably before God? and remove themselves from anyone else thinking there's anything going on that's inappropriate? That's nonsense. Church, be careful. We should live honorably before God. We should live honorably before others, and it matters. Well, what does that honor look like? We can discern a few things. Paul's focus of this passage is not so much to tell us what honor looks like. His whole point is to say these guys do have it, and they're living that way, and we want to do everything well before God and before people, but we can discern a little bit of what this honor looks like. What should you and I be shooting for when we think about what it means to live honorably before God? Well, notice in verse 18, the first credential that Paul gives to this nameless person. We don't know who this is, but it was one that apparently was well-known by the churches throughout the region. Paul says in verse 18, he was is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. You and I live honorably before God when we are faithful to the gospel. When we are faithful to the fact that Jesus Christ came and died for our sins and rose again, that our life is lived according to that, we proclaim that, we live that, we share it, we live for our Lord Jesus who gave His life for us. We live honorably when we live faithfully to the gospel. That's what our allegiance is to above everything else more than in our church that we happen to be a part of or members of, our allegiance to the gospel and living faithfully to that is priority of our life. So I want to challenge you this morning. Are you living for the gospel in your life? Is that what's most important for you? Are you pursuing other avenues, other things in your world, or are you truly pursuing the gospel? Second thing we notice is they were approved by the churches Notice in verse 19 that they had been appointed by the churches. So the churches knew them. They had seen their life in action. They had witnessed, if you will. They, they, they were not appointing somebody that they didn't know. They put people in place that were well-known, people that had, had 
been people had observed them in life and in, in their how they lived and that they lived faithfully before God and before other people. You and I, for us to live honorably, means that we live our life faithfully in community with, with one another. You know, one of the challenges that I think happens today with leaders, and I'm not thinking just, I guess, Christian leaders. I'm thinking primarily Christian leaders, but also, I mean, secular leaders, politicians, whatever. But you, you put your hope and your trust in somebody that you don't know that well. For us as followers of Christ, it's easy to say, well, I like the way this person preaches, and they really sound good, and I like that. And then five years later, or 10 years later, 15 years later, we find out, you know, they failed morally or all these crazy things have gone on. And we've seen that in the last decade that so many well-respected, well-known, famous people that seem faithful in preaching the gospel comes out that their leaders in their church and others have seen these problems within them for years and decades. You know, the Bible kind of points us that we really should be in community together. Anyone that you're opening your life to and listening to and being with should be people that you know, that you can see and be involved with. Well, Sean, do you mean that means that nobody, you know, in a smaller church would ever fail morally? No, I'm not saying that at all either, because it happens. But the chances of it happening are much less when there's people that we're with, people that you see, people that you can observe what's going on in their life. The honor, though, that we, you and I should be looking for is we live honorably before God, and the, is that we, and honorably with one another, is that our life becomes a whole testimony. The people look at whatever aspect they happen to see, whether we're at work or whether we're in school or how we're living, how we do the finances. When people are watching and we're not even paying attention, is that our life is honorable, that it's right, that it's good before God and before others, that it's visible. Third thing is that we're faithful and diligent in service. You see, the, when Paul talked about this, I don't know if you picked up on it, but more than once he talked about these men who were earnest, these individuals who were earnest and passionate and faithful in their ministry. In verse 22, Paul talks about this other brother who had been tested and found earnest in many matters, but who is much more, now more earnest than ever because of great confidence in you. See, they, these were individuals who were diligent in their service. That the idea of earnest means that they were not just that they were excited about it and passionate about it. It's easy at times in a church or life to get excited and passionate about something and for that to just go away and dissipate quickly. But these were individuals who were faithful. They finished the task. They were committed and determined. And that that energy and excitement continued through into their life that they were reliable in all of these things. Paul said, We've, I've tested. This guy's been tested in many areas. Not just financial responsibility, but he was faithful in his ministry and his service. See, you and I, when we live honorably, it means you and I, when we make commitments, ought to keep those commitments. It means when we are serving and following Christ, that we ought to be faithful in those things, faithful in the things that we do with others, faithful in all of those areas. That's where our honor, if you will, the goal is not for us to be honored. The goal is to honor God and to honor the commitments and the, the, the treat other people with respect and the honor that they deserve. And when we do that, we live honorably. So when you and I serve in such a way that people can trust 
And I know what they're getting and doing. When we live that way, when at work, people know that what we commit to do, we finish it. Then it builds into our life, a life of honoring, living in such a way that honors God and other people. There's a, a commitment and a follow-through in our, in our life. And then the last thing that I notice in this passage is that we, we live honorably or with honor when we live for God's glory and the care of others. See, Paul says in verse 20, he, he says, actually, excuse me, up in verse 19, he says, we carry out this act of grace that's being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord Himself and to show our goodwill. So often people will do things because they want to gain respect within other people's minds. Paul said, look, we're taking up this offering we're administering this. We're leading out in this way because we want God to be glorified. When you and I in our heart, no matter what we say with our lips, no matter what our actions say, when our heart, when we don't live consciously in a way that glorifies God, when our motive of what we do is simply, when it's other than to glorify God, then we've got a problem. We're not honoring Him. You see, Paul wasn't saying, hey, I'm trying to look like a good guy because I'm out there raising funds for those who are need. need. He said, guys, I, I'm just really plain. I want to honor God. I'm trying to give Him glory. I'm trying to help people. When you and I don't live for God's glory, and when you and I don't live to take care of others and bless others, then the only other option on the table is to be living for ourselves, And that's not honorable by definition. When there's any action in our life that it's not about God's glory, not about the, the care and how that all works together, then we're not living for the honor of others. Well, Sean, what about if sometimes I just really want to take a nap at home? What about... I just Can I just watch a football game? I'm not trying to glorify God. I'm just trying to watch the Jets play or the whatever. I'm not talking about those things, right? You can honor God. God wants you to have rest and all of those things. That's fine. But even in that, you should be taking a rest so that you can glorify God in your life and that you're resting ultimately so that you can serve Him and help others along the way. We live honorable. That's kind of what it looks like. Let me move on and we'll spend too much time here. Honor, when we live honorably before God, it creates trust with people. See, that's what Paul is really trying to do here, guys. He's saying, we're trying to honor God and how we live. We've chosen some other guys that are living that way. And because of that, you can trust them. You can trust them. We just went through a political campaign, right, months ago, and every politician was trying to say the same thing in some ways. You can trust me. I'll take care of your interests. I know what you really need. You can trust me. When we live honorably before God, that's where trust comes from. The two are always related. Now, the danger is when we want people to trust us, when we don't live honorably to God. Our focus actually should always be to live honorably and leave the trust part alone. There's a problem comes when we get those two mixed together. Our job is to focus on honoring God and not worry so much about whether or not people 
trust us. Let me say that in this way. You see, whenever we fall in honor, whenever we do something very dishonorable, we lose trust. If you're married and you do something very dishonorable in your relationship, your spouse isn't going to trust you as much. You can do something silly like maybe lose your car keys for the fifth time and your spouse is like, yeah, that's you. And it's not silly. It drives you crazy because you can't get to work or whatever, this kind of stuff. You lose trust whenever you don't come through at a big level or small level. Honor and trust are always in relationship. But when you and I really blow it, trust goes way down. And what happens nine times out of ten you and I want to enjoy the trust we had before we blew it. And I've seen this so many times in people's lives. They want their spouse or their whomever to trust them as if it had never happened. And they don't realize that when, when, they, when you and I, when we blow it, and when we live dishonorably, it takes a long time to rebuild trust. I've seen young guys who want people around them to trust them. Paul, Paul told Timothy, he said later on, he said, look, man, do not let people despise your youth. In other words, don't live like such like a young man that people are looking at you and frustrated by your life. He's, in fact, he said, actually, even though you're a young man, you should be a model citizen when it comes to your speech, your conduct, your love, your faith, and your purity. You see, there's a tendency for most of us when we're young to want people to respect us, to trust us, to have the honor that we see that other people have had. But the problem is, is we've not lived enough life yet to where we have been the model in speech and conduct and faith and love and purity because it takes time to build it. So whether you're trying to build that trust in a healthy way initially or whether you've lived dishonorably and lost that trust. Our focus should never be on other people saying, you should respect me, you should trust me. Our job is to simply say, God, I want to honor you. And God, I want to live in a way that, that lives honorably before other people. Knowing that over time, the trust and the respect and all of those things come with it automatically. And when you and I lose that, it is so quickly destroyed. It just so quickly cuts the knees out from under us. When you and I live dishonorably before God, and when we live dishonorably before our friends and our families, it does more damage than we know. And it takes months and years, depending on the severity of that damage, to rebuild that and to regain that trust. And when that's been you, when you have blown it, don't you dare go to that person and say, you should trust me. Don't you dare get mad, offended at their lack of trust because they're still reeling from the damage of what you've done in the middle of that. Your job, in fact, is to get your eyes off of what, how they're responding and whether or not they trust you or not and to get your eyes back on you just simply living honorably before God living honorably before them, and whatever you need to do to rebuild that, you begin to do. You see, when we lose honor, it is not terminal. 
It's not fatal. It's not the end of the story. It can be rebuilt, and it should be. One more thing I want you to notice about honor is that honor should expect accountability. It's appropriate to want that. You see, Paul sent multiple people along the way. Paul knew he was dealing with sinners. He knew that these men that were going might be tempted along the way, and he built in accountability into the system. You know, as a church, I know that we're all sinners before God. I expect us to mess up. I expect us to blow it. I get, I get kind of irritated and squeamish when I'm around Christians or churches that kind of act like they've got it all together and just, you know, kind of, kind of just have that facade. Folks, nobody is that good, even as followers of Jesus. That's not to say, you know, that I expect us all out to be robbing banks and murdering people and raping and all kinds of whatever. But I expect us to all be struggling deeply with sin in our, in our life. So we should expect accountability along the way. That's what Paul was doing when he sent multiple people to administrate these funds. There was built-in accountability. If somebody ever comes to you and says, you should just trust me, when, you're asking, when you ask them for a little bit of accountability, and they're getting incensed and mad about it, and they say, you should trust me, you're antenna ought to go up. You see, when you and I live honorably before God, we ought to be open to inspection. Everything ought to be okay. A number of years ago, in fact, this was a little bit before 9-11, when my family and I lived up very close to the Canadian border. Our closest city was Ottawa, actually. It wasn't, we were like an hour and a half from Ottawa. We were like three hours from Syracuse. And so we would go to Ottawa quite often, drive across the border. In those days, you just flash them, you know, show them a driver's license and off you go. No big deal. Can't do that quite so easily today. I guess you can if you have an enhanced license. But uh, I, I remember after I had you know, lived there a number of years, I took my two oldest daughters. They were probably, they were young. I don't know, maybe five and seven, three and five. I don't know. There was a doll shop across the border, and I was being a good dad, right? You know, we lived in the middle of nowhere, but there was a whole country north of us, and I was going to take my little girls to a doll shop. I don't remember if it was Father's Day or their birthday. I, I don't remember. And so I went to the border, showed them my driver's license. It was just the three of us, and I expected to go across, and the radar of the agent went up. Dad, man, with two little girls, like, oh my goodness, he might be abducting these kids. Who are these kids, you know? And so they ushered us in, and I'm like, I've never been ushered in before. And they started asking me these questions, and I realized what they were fishing for, and I thought, oh my goodness, I'm in trouble. And they were asking, does their mom know? You know, who, where's all of this? And I just pointed to my kids, like, Ask them, you know, let them ask the little kids. And they managed to ask them all the questions. Your mom know you're coming? Yeah, where are you going? And they told the whole story. They ended up letting us go. It wasn't an issue whatsoever. When you and I are living honorably, we ought not mind people asking questions. We ought not mind people wanting there to be accountability. Here at River, we try to build that deeply. It's one of our values. We don't talk about it a lot in our Discover class, but... We've tried to build in a lot of accountability. If you know that we work with kids, you've got to go through a, a significant process of interviewing and background check and, I mean, some serious conversations that get happen along the way because if Paul was this careful with money, how much more careful should we be with our kids that are way more valuable than money? And there's a reason that we have a two-adult policy with our kids. It's a challenge for us because, as you guys know, you know, 
we, we used to have younger, uh, like underage kids. We'd have an adult and like a 16-year-old that would work together in the kids' room. It's a great idea, except a 16-year-old can't really hold an adult accountable in a room like that. And so we require two adults, and it's a challenge. I'm grateful for you guys when you step up and serve, but there's a reason we go through that training and we require you to watch the videos and go through all of those checks and have that safety interview that we have some really personal and frank questions along the way because we value our kids. There's a reason we have multiple pastors and we're looking for another pastor because we don't want our church to just have one pastor to have that much. Pastors are called to have oversight and to lead the church, but to have all of that just in one person is not the best scenario. We want a multitude of pastors or a group of pastors so that there's accountability among us. But then we also have a personnel team because we've written our bylaws in, a, in such a way when there's a significant issue, a really significant issue, the pastors by nature have to involve the personnel team because sometimes even groups of pastors will just kind of keep things quiet if they're not careful. We've built in accountability. Every year I even fill out a, a self-evaluation of, of my ministry of where I've personally led in my family as well as the church and all of these things. And I walk through that with our personnel team and they ask questions and, and they review that and follow up on it. And so we, we build accountability on all of those things. You and I, when we live honorably before God, we should welcome accountability. We should be people that are comfortable with that and we should be willing to expect that of others. If somebody in your life is not willing to be accountable, then there's a problem. And you need to move away from that situation with whatever is going on. You see, if we're living honorably before God, it's open the door, shine the lights on, it's I got nothing to hide. Because when we live honorably before God, it creates a high level of trust. We expect accountability with that. So let me, let me finish with this. I, I want to hope, my, my hope and prayer is that every one of us will commit to wherever we are in thinking about this living honorably before God. Today it's cool to not think about honor. Today it's cool to be bad, if you will. It's, it's to be as edgy as we can in all of these things. But what God values is us living honorably, honorably before Him. And we should care to live honorably before the people around us in our life. And if we're being really honest with ourselves, it's not easy. It's not easy to live that way in our heart, in the deepest part of our hearts, and it's, that's where it's the hardest. And if we're not careful, we don't live with it there, and then it begins to spill out into other areas of our life. So I want to encourage you that whether or not you've lived very honorably all your life, whether or not you had a season in your past that you lived dishonorably, but you've grown past that and God's moved you forward, you've been rebuilding it, or maybe today you've, God's confronting you in your mind right now as we've been talking in your heart that you've got an area of your life that you've been living dishonorably before God. I want to encourage you today to commit and recommit to living in such a way that lives faithfully before the God of heaven, faithfully in the relationships that you have around you. And if you have failed morally, you have failed spiritually, deeply, it's not fatal. That's the whole reason Jesus came, is to die for you and for me, to pay for our sins, that we could be forgiven of those things. 
that he can, in God's eyes, immediately take the, the shame away and immediately declare us innocent and righteous. The, when we receive Jesus as Lord of our life and our salvation, when we admit the things that we've done wrong, that's really the first step when you've lived dishonorably to regaining honor, whether you know Jesus or not, is to admit where you are and to own up to that. And when we recognize the damage that's, that's done and not minimize it, then that causes us to go to God for forgiveness and salvation if in that case that we need it and haven't experienced it yet. And if we have, then God, we go to Him for renewing and refreshing that, if you will, and, and, and owning to those realities. And then we begin to live today and the next day, moment by moment, and the next day and the next day, living in a way that honors Him and honors those relationships where they should be. It's going to take a while. If, you, if that's the life you've been in in the middle of it, we underestimate how long it takes to rebuild trust when we've lived dishonorably. But folks, that's the price tag. So if you've not experienced that before, you need to take heed. Don't you dare live dishonorably again before God. Don't you dare take that first step toward it. Don't you dare return back to it because the price tag is deep. So regardless of where this is hitting you this morning, take that next step in living before God, that next step in your heart to give Him first place and to honor Him and to live honorably before the people in your life. And if the people around you, because you lived dis have lived dishonorably, want more accountability, so be it. Don't fight against it. Don't say they should trust me. So be it. Accountability is a good thing. It's a biblical thing. It's a God thing. So accept that and receive that. So whatever God has kind of spoken in your heart today, guys, this morning, commit to that. Live as a person of honor and integrity and trustworthiness to what He thinks matters the most in your life. And secondarily, live in such a way that honors those relationships and don't do anything that's, that dares to affect that. That's where we are as pastors. That's why we don't meet with, with women alone. Just remove that even possibility of anybody begin thinking about those things. To be honest with you, that's why we even ask for our pastors to not drink alcohol because the, the drunkenness is so pervasive and just the alcohol culture in which we live in. We want to remove ourselves from any of those things that could, could be seen as, as dishonoring to God and other relationships. And you should take similar kinds of steps just in your life, whether it's those or other things, but let's put the honor for God and others chief and foremost in our life. Pray with me, would you? Father, thank you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you that he loves us, that he died for us. Thank you for the testimony of Paul and just uh, something so simple in the way he handled the management of money and the management of, of this offering. is such a powerful testimony to us that we should not take lightly the trust that other people give us, not to do anything to damage it, that we should welcome the accountability. And Father, above all, we should live honorably before you. Help us, Father, to be those individuals, I pray. And Lord, when we have fallen and we have dishonored you and we've dishonored those other relationships on this earth, Lord, that's, that's hard to walk through after that. 
but would we help us to accept the correction, the challenges, the discipline that comes naturally when we have failed. And Father, may you make us stronger than before we failed. Heal us, Father, I pray. Restore us. Help us to be people who follow you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey guys, God bless you. I hope you have a great week. Let's live honorably before God this week. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Visit us on Sundays at 10 a.m. or online at riveralbany.com.